Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Good morning, my friends. As always, it is such a pleasure to bring a little light, a little love, a little life to your Sunday mornings. You know, Pastor Kristen and I are praying that you and your family are both safe and healthy during this time. But man, we look so forward to being together again at the building at Main Street. But until then, we have the opportunity to come to you each week through live stream, and we're so thankful for you tuning in with us. So let's get to today's message. I want to continue in the same vein as we started last week, and that is the subject of prayer, more specifically titled, What is Prayer? Now, oftentimes we can feel awkward in our relationship with God. Maybe, you know, we're not sure how to approach our Father, we're not sure when to approach God, or even know what to say. Well, last week we dispelled a few myths about prayer to really get us to a point where we could at least feel comfortable approaching our Father and approaching Him in this practice called prayer. So just a quick recap of the three things that we discussed. Number one, our prayers aren't formal letters to God. You know, a lot of times we can approach prayer in this way, where it's dear God or to whom it may concern. And I don't really think that's what God's looking for. We learn that prayer isn't some distant formal relationship with him. It's up close and it's personal. It's a father and child relationship. The second thing we looked at was where can we pray? And we really found out that we can pray anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. It's just this constant open line of communication with God. In fact, what are we told in the scriptures? He says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there. How? As simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God. And what happens? You will begin to sense his grace. That's what Jesus told us in the Gospel of Matthew. In other words, we just find a quiet place where, you know, we can focus and communicate. I think that Jesus' main point here is to shift our focus from ourselves to our Father God. And then the third thing that we learned is it's not about the length of time in prayer. You know, we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 to pray without ceasing. How is it possible? Through a never-ending relationship with your Father. So it's not a formal and distant relationship or a where and how much relationship. We just spend from here to eternity having a real relationship with our Heavenly Father, communicating with Him, I believe, on a daily basis. Now, for me, when I think of my relationship with my Heavenly Father, it makes me think about my relationship as an earthly father to my children. So I remember this one time, uh, we had gone as a family to see a movie, and it was great. We had a great time together. We enjoyed the movie. In fact, I can't wait till we can do simple things like this again. Can I get one amen? (laughs) But anyway, we had just walked out of the movie when my youngest, Aiden, says to me, Ooh, hey, Dad, can I go to the game room? And I said, No, buddy. He's like, Come on, Dad, just one game. I'm like, Not right now, buddy. We're going to go grab something to eat. So we go and we grab a bite to eat. And I'm just looking over at him. This dude loves hamburgers, cheeseburgers specifically, with just mayo. He loves them. So he's enjoying his burger, just digging into it. But then all of a sudden, he wants something else. He wants a cinnamon roll. And of course, my answer at that point was, we'd already had all those, you know, snacks and popcorn and goodies and sugar. I was like, he doesn't need any more. So I said, well, 
not tonight, buddy. And he says, come on, dad, just one cinnamon roll. I'm like, no, we're not going to do one cinnamon roll. He's like, we could split it. Like anything he could do to get that cinnamon roll, anything he could do to go play in that game room. My point here is that immaturity makes it hard for us to just slow down and enjoy what's going on. I believe that God wants each of us to mature to the point where we can simply enjoy just hanging out with him. See, maturity also takes us to a place where we think of others more than ourselves, which means that, of course, our prayers become other-centered rather than self-centered. You know, during the Q&R last week, Bishop Jamie talked about this journey in our own prayer lives and it going from being an immature child to a mature adult. And I love his phrase. He said this, some people, this is their prayer, my name is Jimmy, I'll take all you can give me. (laughs) I still think that's awesome. But you know, it's about maturity. It's about growing into this idea that others matter, and it's not just about ourselves. That word mature means to be fully developed. So we're fully developed in this relationship or this prayer life. And when we get to that point, guess what happens? We start to put others first. You know, just as I desire with Aiden, God is looking for us to be content with where we are, where we're going, and just enjoy being together and loving each other. I think that's what prayer should be. Prayer ought to be something that you can fit into your normal day. Now, listen, if you can have some special time alone, on your knees, eyes closed, you know, with nothing distracting you, that's kind of how we picture prayer, then listen, by all means, take advantage of it. But that doesn't work out every single day for all of us, does it? Even in my relationship with my wife, you know, those special times with her where it's just her and me, man, they're few and far between, but that certainly doesn't negate our relationship altogether. But listen, we need to find that time to communicate. Just remember, though, that prayer doesn't have to be that way all the time to please God. But when you can, listen, find special moments to share where there's some one-on-one time with God. I think it's really important. But here's the bottom line. Be creative and find ways to commune with Him all day long. So what do we do? We talk to our Father. Sometimes we're just quiet in His presence. Be still and know that I am God, he tells us. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Look at this. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. So what are you thinking about? Where are your thoughts fixed? What are you attached to? That's what prayer is all about. Do you know that sometimes I even fall asleep while I'm praying? What? Pastor, is that okay? Well, of course it's okay. You know, I actually used to feel guilty about this when I would fall asleep during prayer. But then I felt as if Holy Spirit was telling me, listen, you are experiencing a peace from your Father, a peace that surpasses all natural understanding. So guess what? Just roll with it wherever that leads you. If you go to sleep, if you relax, sometimes we just overthink it, right? After getting some rest, I return to whatever I'm doing. And guess what? everything's just fine. In fact, I usually feel better. So for me, again, that's just one of those things that I've experienced where, you know, I would literally fall asleep and I felt like God was saying, it's because you're experiencing peace. Don't stress about it. Don't overthink this prayer thing. So I want to take a brief look at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. It isn't that we pray these words ritualistically, but I do believe that it's ascribing the perfect points to pray Because guess what? It covers all of life, which we're about to see. 
So let's break this down in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to read this together. And we're going to look at Matthew 6, starting with verse 9. He says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's go ahead and just kind of dig a little bit and and break this down. I want to look back at verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, look at this, hallowed be your name. Now, do you notice that Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, Almighty God, judge of the living and the dead. He says to pray, our Father. Now, again, that word Father in the Greek is the word pater, and it means source or origin. It's like we're identifying ourselves with God, saying, I am in you and you are in me. This is really important because we have to realize that God is our Father. This is really the key to effective prayer. See, when you pray, you're talking to your daddy who loves you. Now, again, that could seem a little odd to some of us, but we have to get used to this idea of God as our Father or our daddy. See, wrong perception of your Heavenly Father, what does it do? It leads to wrong relationship with Him. I mean, think about how some people describe God. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my dad over there. Uh, he's always angry and he suffers from, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. But that's not the Father that Jesus describes and shows us. So we have to get this right. Our Father in heaven, right? And then he goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Now, what this really means in the original language is, May your true identity be recognized and honored. May you be, you know, revealed as my Father who loves me and who cares for me. May the whole world know this. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, whose will be done? Our Father's will. Is it your will? Is it my will? No, it's his will. Now, I do believe that he gives us the desires of our heart, that our will becomes his will as we just saturate and immerse ourselves in his love. But you notice here, he says, let your will be done. And then he says, as it is in heaven. You know what that means? It means if it's not his will for there, then it's not his will for here. Now, understand my heart here. Heaven is not far and away. Heaven is here and it's now. Jesus proclaimed what? He says, the kingdom of heaven is near. In fact, it's in you. So the kingdom of heaven is in you, okay? So all the goodness, the fruit, everything that we need for life and godliness, already here on the inside. That's why we're told to work out our salvation. So think about that. Sickness and disease are not as will. Poverty and oppression are not as will. Racism and division are certainly not as will. Come on, no father wants these things for his children. Are you with me so far? But then he goes on and he says this in verse 11. He says, give us today our daily bread. So from the kingdom, which is a great big thing, it's all-encompassing, it's abundant life, it's all we need for a godly life, all the way to our daily necessities, we could say the small stuff. Guess what? You can trust God to care for every detail of your life. We could say it like this. Don't worry about the big things and don't sweat the small stuff. See, don't ever say anything like, 
you know, I, I don't want to trouble God right now with this small thing. He's probably busy taking care of big things. Listen, if it matters to you, it matters to him because he's your father. And because he's your father, you don't need to beg. Ask boldly with confidence. I, I want us to notice here the audacity of the words of Jesus. He says, give us our daily bread. Give us. Say that with me. Give us. Say it with a little oomph. Give us. Now think about this. Give us our daily bread. Now, my kids, especially when they were younger, they weren't afraid of letting us know when they were hungry. I mean, they demanded food, to be honest. And sure, they would say things like please or thank you, well, some of the time, but it was a demand. Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. And you want to know something? I was never offended when they demanded food. It was a delight for me to give them what they needed and even what they wanted. See, in the same way, your Heavenly Father delights to give you good gifts. The Apostle James tells us this in James 1.17. And notice that we're not praying for tomorrow's bread. This is a huge key point, right? It's not about tomorrow's bread, but today's. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6.34? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? It will deprive you of the blessing that God has for you here and now. No, no, hear me out. It's not that God's withholding anything from us. Listen, God gave us everything for life and godliness through Christ Jesus. It's a done deal. But for us to embrace, we have to have faith in the here and now, what he's already provided for us. We could really sum it up like this. Worry is future-focused, whereas peace is now-focused. If we're in a state of worry or worrying, it's because we're wondering about what will happen tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, nope, ask for today's bread. It's resting in the now that God has provided. This, to me, really emphasizes a day-by-day relationship. And then he goes on here in verse 12 to say, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So this here really is a forgiveness thing. How do you forgive? The brilliance of Jesus here, especially knowing that he is shifting or transitioning people from an old covenant focus to a new covenant reality, is that he can say one thing and give perfect medicine to everyone. Think about it. If you are a self-righteous person, you will hear these words as law. You know, like, you'd better forgive or God won't forgive you. But if you know God as a loving father, you will hear those words as grace. You know, my father has forgiven me, and in his name, I forgive others. You see, Jesus really knows how to reveal the human heart, where you are in your thinking. You know, the Apostle John says in 1 John 4 and 20, he says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, haters gonna hate. Why? Because hate is in their heart. See, the fruit reveals the tree. But if you understand or if you've somehow apprehended this love of your Heavenly Father, you won't be a hater anymore. You'll be a lover and a forgiver. That's why the Apostle Paul could write to the Colossians, I believe from experience, words like these, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And honestly, that's the proper order. We've got to get this right. See, God initiates, we respond. That, that's how the ebb and flow works. God initiates, we respond. But listen, if we don't respond, 
I believe it's because we're, in essence, saying that God never initiated. Do you see the connection? I mean, if we don't believe that God has forgiven us, then it becomes really hard to forgive others. He goes on to say in verse 13, the first part there, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here's a question. Does God tempt us? Well, the scriptures say emphatically, no. So then, why did Jesus teach us to pray as if God might be the one leading us into temptation? I don't think this was ever meant to be controversial. The meaning really, to be honest, is quite simple and clear if you read it from a Middle Eastern culture mindset. Now, just a little side note, it's going to get a little teachy for a minute, so just hang in there with me. Don't go anywhere. Don't tune out, all right? But I believe that Jesus phrased this in a typical Hebrew form. If you look all throughout the Psalms and other Hebrew poetry, it's absolutely beautiful. What happens is a point is often made by placing two contrasting ideas together. This is known as antithetical parallelism. Did you get that? Now, don't attempt to try saying that three times in a row really, really fast, right? But in other words, one idea is being emphasized by two contrasting items. You can see this, for example, in Psalm 37, verse 9. It says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, can you see that there's a contrast going on here? There's a contrast between being cut off and inheriting the earth, emphasizing that you want to be among those who what? Wait upon the Lord. The idea is that only one of these groups inherits the earth. And who is it? It's not this one, but it's this one. That's kind of how it works. Now, let's try a modern day use. It might be like an employee saying to his boss, um, I don't want you to fire me, but to give me a promotion. Now, who in their right mind would ever say it that way? But I'm trying to make a point. There's only really one desire here, but it's presented in two contrasting scenarios, being fired or being promoted. In the same way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is really just presenting one desire. What is it? It's this. I don't want to give in the temptation. See, what happens sometimes is people confuse the devil with the Lord. They say things like, well, God gives and God takes away. But Jesus says that God gives and gives and gives. And he also says, it's the thief who's robbing you, right? Some say, God is testing me with one test after the other. But Jesus says, God will never lead you into temptation, but will deliver you from it. See how that works? It's so cool when you can break this down and understand context and culture. Think about that. God is our salvation. He's our deliverance. Trust your loving Father, and guess what? You won't give in to temptation. But look at here at the second part of verse 13. He says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What happened is we began our prayer with praise. Hallowed be thy name. And then what we do? We finished with praise. Man, I'm telling you, when we fill our prayers with praise, you know, boasting in the awesomeness of our Heavenly Father, our faith, our trust in Him, is stirred. We don't pray in reaction to our circumstances, but in response to our Father's goodness. So the prayer that Jesus taught us is brilliant because it covers everything from the big stuff to the small things like our daily needs and also with our relationships with others. Prayer is not a set of magic words, but it's an invitation to approach the throne of grace in our time of need. Although some may treat the Lord's Prayer as, you know, this religious and lifeless set of words, it's real power. And let me say this again. It's real power 
is in its revealing of a wonderful God who loves us like a father and cares for even the smallest details of our lives. See, a misunderstanding of prayer can cause us to reject the very intimacy that Christ invites us to. And what do we do? We embrace an inferior relationship of isolation. See, the difference between the two is the revelation of love. For me in my life, love has changed everything, my friends. If you understand his love, or at least begin to understand, I mean, the Apostle Paul told us to to measure his love, the height, the width, the depth, the length. Why would he say something like that? Because it's so massive, it's so big, that you probably can't discern all of his love in one single lifetime, but at least you can try. And when you do, it does something to your heart. There's changes that happen. And and all of a sudden, you'll see the outflow of those changes, and you'll go, wow, I'm treating people differently. I'm treating myself differently. I'm saying things differently. I'm, I'm doing things differently. See, again, the difference between the two ways of praying is the revelation of love. Your Father loves you. He cares for you. He desires intimate relationship with you. See, praying in the manner that Jesus taught, it changes us. It transforms us from desperate, lonely individuals into who we truly are. And what is that? Our Father's beloved children. So let's mature from prayers like, my name is Jimmy, I'll take all you can give me. <laughs> Still funny, right? To Heavenly Father, you are so good and, and you care for me, even down to the smallest, finest details in my life. May I be quick to forgive and pray for the needs of others. I think that prayer deserves a hearty amen. Can I hear you? <laughs> That's what prayer is all about. I really don't believe that Jesus was trying to just give us a formula. Pray these exact words and things will happen. Pray this verbatim, which by the way, verbatim would probably be Greek or Aramaic, so none of us can do that. But pray it exactly this way and then things will really happen in your life. The Father will really hear you. That wasn't the point. The point was, it's a foundation. It's a prayer that encompasses all the goodness of God, His love for us, and then it brings us to a place where we offer the same forgiveness to others that He does to us, realizing that He still cares for us, even down to the smallest, most minute details of our life. I really hope that helped you today, my friends. God loves you so much. He cares for you so much. I I really just don't want us to overthink this prayer thing. It's so important that we see that He just wants to have an open line of communication to us. Sometimes that's us speaking words. Sometimes that's us being quiet and listening to that still, small voice. So with that being said, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace toward us. I pray that today, minds were being changed. That word repentance, metanoia in the Greek, means to change our mind. I believe that we've repented maybe of some old ideas, some cliche ways of thinking when it comes to prayer. It's really not about sets of words and formulas in certain ways or fashions. It's about realizing that you truly desire intimate relationship with us. Prayer is just simply communicating to you, being with you, spending time with you, letting you help refocus our hearts on what's important in our lives, what's important to you. It's our will becoming your will, which really, bottom line, is to love. It's operating and functioning in love in this life. To all those around us, despite you know what color their skin, 
you know, what political party they belong to. None of that matters. What matters is living a life of acceptance and love, just like you demonstrated to us, Jesus. I pray today that we would walk closer and closer to that model of what you showed us while you walked this earth. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Man, it's been awesome hanging out with you guys. I love you guys so much. Thanks for just tuning in this morning and, and, and being with us. I want to encourage you to come back this evening, Facebook Live at 5 p.m. for live Q&R. But not only that, we have another special guest. If you've never heard Reverend Keith Hershey, then tonight is for you. Special guest Reverend Keith Hershey will be with us. And this guy, man, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone other than maybe Jim, Jim Scalise, for those of you who know him, who just is just permeated with the love of God. Like when they open their mouth and speak, it's like the love of God just flows out. There's times where he's been speaking at the church, and I'm just a big weeping ball of mess up front. Why? Because God is so good. I once again realize how important I am to the Father, how much he loves me. If you're looking for a good dose of love, then join us tonight at 5 p.m. with Reverend Keith Hershey. Listen, I love you guys. I appreciate you for tuning in. We'll see you tonight. Until then, be blessed. I'm praying for you. Can't wait to talk again. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.